Hello and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. And in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. This week, I'm talking to Karen Walker, the president of One Team and author of the book No Dumbing Down. Karen is no stranger to uncertainty. She explains how she had the courage to leave a well-paid job in her early 20s to help set up Compaq, a company that grew exponentially in the 14 years she was there. She's a strong advocate for the development of people and teams to grow business. Karen has a wealth of wisdom and experience and she shares it generously in this interview. Have a listen. Hi Karen, thanks for joining me today. Hello Jude, really nice to be here with you. For the benefit of the listeners, can you tell us who you are and what you do, please? Uh, Yes. Uh, Long story and short sentences here. Um, I'm a consultant and advisor to CEOs and senior leaders in organizations. And I work in many different kinds of industry, but primarily in technology, because that's my background in history. And uh, my work tends to come from referrals. And so that's where my clients generally are. Um, And I work with them on uh, really growing their organizations. to meet their needs, which often include things like IPOs or successful acquisitions or just leadership development in order to make those things happen. Um, I work with them on a couple of areas. One is um, strategy, which I think of about is what they do and why they do it, and then helping them execute on that. And all my clients are growth companies. Um, and I work with people from the Inc. 5000 list to the Fortune 50 list. So it uh, just depends on, on where the need is. Um, Prior to that, prior to launching my consultancy, I spent um, 14 years at a company called Compact Computer, uh, which at that time was the fastest growing company in American history. We did about $111 million in our first year. Uh, I was employee 104 and we hadn't shipped any product yet. And as part of the senior team there, I was able to help grow that organization from really no revenue to about $15 billion by the time I left. Um, I, wow. yeah, it was, it was a pretty amazing thing. And there's lots of, lots of uncertainty in that story to talk about as we get into the conversation. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that's what comes up for me. I mean, whenever there is growth, there's always huge uncertainty, isn't right. there? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I often tell my clients if, if, if there's not, um, uncertainty, right. If, if you're not growing, uh, you're actually, uh, declining, there's no steady state. So, um, mm-hmm. I think a lack of uncertainty is, uh, is a very poor sign, uh, for, forecasting in a business. Well, that's I mean, that's a really interesting take, isn't it? That if there isn't uncertainty, then then there's there's stagnation or decline, or and there's there's no growth. Um, what, what's your t- tell us some of your experience of leading through uncertainty? Yeah, well, I, I just to re- respond first to your comment, um, harking way back to my uh, engineering studies. Um, you know, you think about laws of thermodynamics and how everything tends to disorder, right? So there really is no steady state in the mm. universe. And, uh, and to think our organizations are uh, immune from that is, is false. So you're either growing or declining. Um, and so that sort of leads to my story. Um, so I was at 25 years old. Um, I was working in a, in a large um, Fortune 100 organization in the U.S., uh, getting uh, promotions every six months for the couple of years that I'd been there, pretty stable job. Um, and I gave my notice and I left. And, uh, uh, the reason I left was because some, uh, several of the leaders that I most admired in that organization, um, had started a new company 
and I thought if, you know, sort of if not now, when? Um, I had uh, less to lose than I would later to go explore um, sort of this new opportunity. But I was really intrigued by the people that left because they were the people that I noticed around me who were getting things done, the people mm. that I really admired. And um, it turned out that that organization with these really bright, driven colleagues um, started um, this company, Compact Computer, that went on to, to be the fastest of its time to get to a billion dollars and to really make a difference uh, in, the, in the world uh, by pioneering uh, portable computing, which right. if you think about portable at that time, it was a very different story than today, but yeah. uh, the computers had handles and they were portable. But it was very uncertain, right? Both the, the market was uncertain because it was uh, pioneering in a new marketplace. Uh, the organization itself was uncertain. Um, and certainly the path forward was. And then as we got into it and the growth occurred, right? So I went in as a, you know, as a department of one and uh, very shortly had hundreds of people working for me and thousands of contractors and consultants all over the world. Um, you know, I went from um, a very small budget to about $50 million a year in expenses and did about a billion dollars worth of capital expenditure while I was there. And, and no one knew that was coming. Mm. So every day there was uncertainty, right? We would chart a path. Uh, we would make strategic plans. We would set out on them. And, you know, it wasn't like it was always a straight line up. There were definitely uh, some dips in there that we had to learn to deal with. Uh, but the whole organization, um, I like to use the word ambiguity, mm -hmm. um, which is another word, of course, for uncertainty, right? And um, everything was ambiguous. There were very few places where you could get a solid foothold. We would uh, forecast, for example, how many people we were going to hire during the year. Part of my responsibilities were making sure that there was enough land bought and buildings built to put people in. Um, and we'd end up hiring hundreds more people in a month than we had forecast. Wow. Not hundreds more people, not hundreds of people, but hundreds more people. Yeah, uh, it, it was it was an it was an amazing time when really all of your skills and abilities, and in particular those soft skills about working in the white spaces, um, got put to use. And it wasn't just me, of course; it was the entire team that was making that happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a bold step at twenty five to to step into so much uncertainty and. And to to embrace it. I mean, what what were the biggest challenges for you? Um, well, the the first challenge uh, was just getting okay uh, with leaving the stability of the job that I had. Yeah, you, know, you think my my parents certainly thought I was crazy for doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, times were were different than they are today. Tech was not the not the thing that it is today. Uh, I didn't have uh, friends and colleagues uh, beyond these few managers uh, in Texas who had uh, who had done that. Uh, so it's a different atmosphere, and it was it was a lot uh, seemed a lot riskier at the time, uh, but I, I just had enough faith in the environment and the uh, the abilities um, that the system around me had helped me cultivate that I thought I can always get another job, and I may not get another opportunity like this. So there's a lot so about trusting yourself, isn't there? In that, in in taking that leap of faith. Yes. In fact, when I interviewed with the organization, um, I thought they were doing something very different than they were. They had not yet announced their product because of, a, uh, well, the product wasn't ready to be announced yet. Uh, and so there was a lot of secrecy around that. And um, so I kept telling them I didn't think I could do the job. <laughs> they kept saying, yes, we know you. We know you can do this job. It's like, I don't know. They're like, really? Just come. You can do it. Uh, and so I did. And then, uh, yeah, I, I think the faith was in 
my my ability and our ability as a as an organization and a team to figure things out. Mm. So I know I know at my core I am a problem solver. Uh, that comes out in many different ways and drives a lot of what I do with my life. Uh, but I'm a problem solver, and every day there were all of these sort of fresh problems to solve. Um, so it turned out to be an environment that I thrived in, and I think I would have suffocated in the the larger, slower paced. Um, more process oriented, although I, mm. uh, I believe in process, but um, I think this uh, certain organizations can get overly process oriented. Um, I think I would have suffered there uh, in a way that um, didn't have to happen. Uh, so after 14 years at Compaq, uh, you know, we had done extremely well uh, as an organization. Uh, we were now a giant company, as I said, $15 billion. And we had about 17,000 employees across the globe at that time. Um, I realized that I was in a place where my job wasn't going to get much different. It was just going to get bigger over time. And uh, it just wasn't a place where I thought I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Uh, the, you know, certainly the uh, senior manager, the CEO, um, had turned over at that point. Our founder had, had gone. Um, and so I, I spent about six months getting ready to leave because there was a lot about that job that was pretty amazing. And... Um, and then I left. And I left in a way that um, I think surprised a lot of people, uh, including my immediate family, but certainly my colleagues, and, which was that I didn't know where I was going to go. Hmm. Um, I was so busy uh, with my work that I thought I don't have time to figure out what I want to do next uh, without taking away from the work that I'm doing. And the work that I'm doing is, is, is important. So I need to make sure I do that to the best of my abilities. And then I will take some time off to figure out what I'm going to do next. So I stepped from a lot of certainty into uncertainty again. Um, I moved from Texas to New York City. I took some classes in philosophy and architecture at Columbia. Uh, I went to a lot of different uh, conferences and went to hear writers speak on books I was interested in. Um, I got more familiar with what was important to me. And uh, then um, I launched a consultancy um, after meeting my now husband who was a PhD psychologist, um, sort of melded with my engineering degree and my inside the organization experience. And uh, together we, uh, we launched our firm. Wow. So once again, you stepped away from the stability of, of a, you know, a well-paid, um, stable job to having a go at something else. Yes. In fact, unclear. <laughs> right. The, the hardest thing about that, right, was stepping away from the money and, uh, once again, I realized that um, I could certainly uh, have a wonderful life at a lower standard of living if I had to, and uh, and I had faith in my ability to to make more money. Uh, but I also I knew that um, I had the luxury of knowing that I could always put food on the table. Hmm. So, what what's your advice to other people? I mean, some you know some people will say. Um, you know, I, I, I need the stability or I need the, you know, that they're hanging on to, to the old ways. And I'm, I'm not necessarily mm-hmm. talking about necessarily jumping ship from, from yeah. a corporation to setting up your own business, because that's not for everyone. Right. But even within large organizations, we're talking about people needing to be more entrepreneurial and embracing mm-hmm. the uncertainty and, and, and moving away from that stability. What, what would your advice be to people who are hanging on, kicking and screaming? Mm. Well, it's a really good question because it all comes down to risk, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in my case, it's, it was just me, um, you know, and a, and a spouse. 
but I didn't have, you know, four kids that I needed to uh, concern myself with supporting. Um, I, um, I was, I was very um, content um, with uh, sort of the underpinnings of my life. And so I, I had less considerations, I think. Um, I'm very healthy, for example, knocking on wood here. Um, and I, you know, I often think of, you know, if I were a single mom of, of several kids, I probably would have made different choices because I would have been more risk averse mm. um, and, and for good reason, right? You have to figure those things out. Um, and I think you have to think about where you are and what your capacity for risk is and why. So just to be conscious about those things so that you can be conscious about the decisions you're making and why you're making them. You know, I, by the time I left Compact, there were a number of people who had joined the company just for the benefits, mm. right? Which was a very different reason than why people joined when we were 100 people. Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, we're starting to see that that turn full circle in organizations, aren't we? Is that mm-hmm. the reasons people join might be for the stability and the security. And yet what organizations are wanting is people who, who can take those risks and, and can be more entrepreneurial. I mean, what, how, how do organizations, you're, you're working with lots of different organizations. Mm-hmm. What, what's your advice to them? Yeah, it's uh, really about um, uh, being clear about the behaviors that you want in the organization and then being consistent in rewarding those behaviors. Uh, I was talking with a client a few days ago who's just done an acquisition and uh, they're like, yeah, we, you know, we want to keep all of the, uh, the entrepreneurial spirit of this acquisition uh, but we don't like these behaviors that they have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are the behaviors that get you the innovation and the creativity that you want, right? Uh, and so you have to find ways to um, to be consistent uh, with what you say. Because if you're inconsistent, right, the first time somebody raises their hand in a meeting or just speaks up uh, with some new crazy off-the-wall idea because they're thinking out loud and they get shut down, mm. they're not going to do that again. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they, they've taken a risk. There's a lot of that happening, isn't there, where people do feel shut down when they when they take a risk and when they come up with new ideas. Right. And the other thing that can happen is that uh, when people don't feel really wedded to the vision of the organization, mm. um, and, and by vision, I don't mean what's written on, on paper, you yeah. know, posted on the walls, mm. uh, but, but what the organization is actually doing and the impact that's having in the world or not. Um, you know, when, when you have a commitment to that, people will do almost anything to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, when you don't have a commitment to that, when it either uh, isn't um, sort of exciting enough or having a big enough impact or something you can really put your teeth into, um, people will, you know, they'll back off. They will do less. Uh, and they'll do what, um, what I call dumbing down, mm-hmm. uh, which is where an organization, and in, in particular teams, who can only work at the level of the lowest contributor on the team, right? Teams can't work any higher than that. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, so people will, will dumb down. And every time you dumb down, you lose some of that passion, excitement, and, and risk because you're losing commitment to the, to the end goals. Yeah, and it's interesting. I'm just wondering if, if um, you know, I hadn't linked the words commitment and risk together before, mm. but I'm just wondering if, you know, having a commitment to a vision enables people to take a greater risk because they've got that commitment. Yes, I, I absolutely believe that's true. Is that, is that your experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if you think about people who are risk averse in organization settings, it's often because they don't want to lose their jobs. Right. Mm. And that's because they have a commitment to providing for their families. Right. That's the larger vision. 
Uh, yeah. And they believe that by not losing their jobs, rightly or wrongly, and oftentimes rightly, uh, they need to they need to stay in that position. And so that's the commitment and that's the level of risk they're willing to uh, assume. Oh, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because the commitment then to their personal, the personal gain is out of kilter with and out of balance with the vision of the and the commitment to the organization's vision. And I, and I guess where it works best is when you've got the two aligned. Yes, that's certainly where it works most um, effectively, I think. And that doesn't mean that they have to be, you know, both areas have to be like um, extremely risky, right? Mm. It's just that you should be clear about what you want and need from the organization while you're there. The organization needs to be clear about what it needs from you. And and I don't just mean your the technical part of your job, although that's important, uh, but these other um, softer areas as well. Um, mm. So be clear about why you're there and for the organization to be clear about what it needs. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, oh, I shall ponder more on uh, around commitment and risk and because uh, I hadn't put those two to, together before. I think the other thing that I work with with my clients that um, sort of plays into this is this idea of um, I call it playing bumper cars that, you know, we all set up. We set a path. We set a direction. We set a strategy. Um, and then we go out into the world and things happen. And it never happens exactly like we think it's going to happen, right? It's either it's either yeah. more or less, but very rarely on the on the straight line. Uh, and that I think is important for organizations and individuals to plan for sort of upside and downside to deal with that uncertainty that occurs in the real world, um, and that we set guardrails sort of at the upside and downside uh, that have to do with our capacity to deal with that that uncertainty. And it might be physical capacity yeah. of, hey, if we got more orders than we were expecting, we can't fulfill them, and therefore we can't meet the promise that we've made to our clients. Um, or it might be downside uncertainty. Hey, things are not going the way we expected them to. We have to make some changes here. Um, but to have, but to have, if you have mm. some guardrails in place around that, that you can sort of bounce off of, and you know, you know sort of what actions you would trigger when you hit them, um, that can reduce the, uh, uh, the, feel, the, the feelings that are not so great around the uncertainty because you at least know you have a plan uh, for sort of some best and worst cases, best and worst scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if you're finding this, but a lot of the the people that I'm working with, there's this desire to be in control as though it's <laughs> something to strive for. <laughs> and I don't know if you're finding that as well. Um, well, certainly I think as um, when things are not going well, right? Mm. So with, with growth, I think there's a greater recognition that you really aren't in control. The best you can do is sort of guide the rocket ship, right? Yeah. Uh, but when things are not going well, I believe, uh, and my experience bears out both with myself and with my clients, that, that we, tend to, we tend to revert back to the things that have worked well for us before. And so in some ways, we narrow ourselves, we narrow our options, we narrow our actions at the moment when we should be expansive, mm. right? Which is what, what could be done differently to help this situation or to make it different. Um, but instead, we go back to what's made us successful in the past. Um, and so we, we veer away from uncertainty in action uh, or ambiguity in action um, in order to try to control. And it's interesting, isn't it, that at the very moment where we need to relinquish control and really embrace the uncertainty is the moment where we're hanging on to it. <laughs> right. And that's because control is such an illusion, mm. right, that... And, and I think this has come from, I've been a Zen Buddhist now for 20-something years. 
uh, and, and so a real uh, personal visceral understanding that we're not, you know, we're not in control, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing to control. We can, we can influence in the moment, but um, there's no, there's no big picture control here. Uh, and so the, um, once you give that up, that notion, um, it's much easier to say, all right, I, I can't fully control this, right? I can, there are factors I can influence sort of to focus on those yeah and of course we're never we're never in control of of people and teams are we I mean the, the best we can do is to to lead inspire engage influence whatever language you want to use but we, we can't control anybody kicking and screaming to to do what we want them to do right I didn't have children but my friends who have tell me you start learning that when a child is very small right? <laughs> yeah I'm sure you do <laughs> and it, it doesn't it doesn't get better as adults and in fact I think if you have a lot of quote, compliant employees who just do what you want them to do. Um, you know, you may not have an organization that's as uh, vibrant as you'd like for it to be. And, and definitely there are organizations that are successful that way, right? People will self-select into the kinds of organizations they want. But if someone wants um, just to be told what to do, um, I, I think that's a very rare event um, and that it's it's not uh, not a good sign for the organization well there's not a lot of creativity in being told what to do is there so all you all you're getting then is is a is a very siloed and a very um you know one one one-sided perspective of how things should be done right yeah it's uh certainly not an organization i think that that our a players want to work in so what do you think are the the skills that leaders need to have in uncertainty yeah so i would say the the first thing, and you mentioned it earlier, is sort of a belief in their own abilities, but it's not their abilities to, to do things as much as it is their, uh, you know, to do sort of physical task, mm. as it is their sort of the, these uh, softer skills around their ability to cope with new situations, their ability to problem solve, uh, their embrace of uh, ambiguity and uncertainty, uh, knowing that those are, uh, those are uh, everywhere mm. uh, and that that's that's the kind of leadership skill that will take an organization to where it needs to go. And also their abilities um, to lead their organization in a way that keeps them aligned. So what I often see is that um, organizations get out of alignment. And so in some ways you are, uh, you're creating um, problems for yourself. Uh, If you, for example, you know, if your, if your sales are are running away, but you don't have the internal capacity to deal with it, or you have, um, you know, maybe your, your sales are really good and your marketing is really good and your development processes are really good, uh, but your customer success function uh, hasn't had enough attention. Hmm. Um, so making sure those things are, um, are both conscious about you know, what the organizations need and, and how they can support each other and stay in alignment with each other. Um, I think that is, um, is really helpful, particularly in times of great uncertainty. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, you know, I, I work with a a herd of horses so I, I bring leaders out to work with my horses and you know as soon as people try and control the horses they they get a very clear message that the horses are not for being controlled and so so a lot of what we're working on is around you know how do you lead when you're out of your comfort zone and and it's really talking to what, what you've just said it's not just the technical how do I lead a horse it's it's a it's more of a you know, because the way you lead a horse is the way you lead a person. Um, it, there's no there's no technical competence required. It's more of the how do you engage people? How do you bring them with you with them with you? And 
And and how do you just embrace the fact that you don't actually know what you're doing, but you can still lead and be effective? Right. And so the, the leadership, I, I haven't spent much time around horses since I was a small girl, but I think the, the leadership is around setting the direction you need to go, mm. right? But not so much about how you're going to get there. Yeah. You know, make, making sure you have check-in points, right? That you're on the you're on the road, you're on the path, and that that path is wide enough. Mm. Uh, because if you try to tell the horse where to place its foot, you're uh, probably not going to be very successful. No, uh, and the same with people to go, too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what are what are some of the what are some of the traits that you've seen in leaders that you perhaps admire the most? What What are they doing? Yeah. Well, the, f- the first thing is they're, they're clear about both their vision mm. for the organization. Often it's a vision that's uh, been developed uh, jointly with other members of the team. So we know there's a really good product market fit and we know that we have the right team assembled to sort of execute on that. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the second thing is to have uh, clarity about the behaviors that they want in the organization and then complete consistency on, uh, on, on rewarding those behaviors and disincenting the behaviors that they don't want. Because I think, I think what happens in an organization that can be really detrimental um, is uh, to, you know, have, a, again, the poster on the wall that says these are our core values and the behaviors we want from each other. And then to see people, particularly, you know, during these big moments, like, you know, the end of the quarter when you need to make the deal or get something shipped, um, that, that we revert from the behaviors we say we want into other behaviors that we've mm. said are undesirable. And we either reward them um, or at, at, a, uh, at a minimum, we just don't do anything about them. Well, those now become acceptable behaviors in the organization. Yeah. And so the most effective leaders, I think, have both clarity and consistency around those things. Mm. Um, and they're, you know, these, these leaders are wanting to, to grow themselves as well as grow the organization. And uh, part of how they grow themselves is in, in growing the organization. So it's not about, it's not about me. It really is about us. Uh, and that doesn't mean that anyone has to work at less than their capacity, but to assemble a team of individuals and then a team of teams who are all working at their, uh, at their peak. Hmm. What, what keeps you awake at night, Karen? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, usually it's, uh, uh, you know, I have, I, I might wake up at 3 a.m. And, and want to go finish a book I've started. <laughs> really? <laughs> right. What, a fiction um, book or, a, or a, a leadership book or? Oh, yeah. So I, I used to read a lot of fiction. Uh, in fact, I just read a lot anyway. But um, um, over the years, uh, particularly as my consultancy has uh, taken off, I read a lot of nonfiction now and try to save my fiction for uh, for vacations for the most part, because I will, I will wake up at 3 a.m. and want to go dive into something I haven't quite finished. Um, but I don't, I don't tend to wake up at 3 a.m. with, with worries. I tend to wake up at, at 3 a.m. when I do with, um, sort of excitement about, uh, uh, ideas or, um, things that will be really helpful for a client or something like that. Mm. Uh, it's more, I mean, I, I know I'm really blessed in this way, uh, but I, I I really don't wake up at 3 a.m. because I because of big concerns. Uh, it's usually about oh yeah, I could do this other thing or this other thing uh, that would be helpful, and it's that happens because I've cleared my brain, right? That's that's mm-hmm. happens for all of us, right? It's mm-hmm. the whole Archimedes jumping out of the bathtub and yelling Eureka mm-hmm. uh, because we because we don't give ourselves enough time to think. Uh, yeah. So one of the one of the ways I deal with that is I have a 
a silent meditation retreat that I do twice a year, where mm-hmm. I really do. It's, it's a week, and I have no new input into my brain. Uh, and so things settle down. And out of that bubble, sort of these big ideas and these answers to big questions. Uh, and so I think that helps me throughout the rest of the year uh, in terms of uh, not having this nagging big stuff at the back of my my brain that's sort of weighing, weighing me down and waking me up uh, in the middle of the night. And do you think that because you, you have that silent retreat every, every twice a year, do you think that helps you on a, on a daily basis as well in mm. terms of being more grounded and more settled and, and, and having more clarity? Um, certainly for myself, I feel quite grounded and settled. Um, but I think the, 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 the impact of that uh, beyond my personal self um, is that that's what my clients and friends tell me mm. um, is that I am, I'm a calming influence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it helps me certainly be present to what's going on uh, with my clients and with their organizations. Um, and I think when you're, you're present, you understand more mm. um, and then you're able to, to choose from the toolkits or the, the better or best tools uh, to address the situation. And yeah, I think I mean, that's true for all leaders, right? We get, we get so busy because, you know, an organization will always take as much from you as you will give it. Yeah. Uh, that, um, you know, when you think about, you talk with leaders about planning and, and taking time to think. And they're like, oh, yeah, we do an annual retreat for that. Like, well, that's not really enough in today's mm-hmm. world, right? Things are moving and changing too fast. There is too much uncertainty to try to do that once or twice a year. Um, that, that you really do have to check in frequently see if you are on the path that you set, and if not, why, and what else has changed. And that requires time to think. And you're not going to do that, you know, in the five-minute break if you get that between uh, your back-to-back meetings all day. Mm. And I think that, you know, that is one of the challenges of our time, isn't it, is that, you know, I, I was reading some somewhere recently that we're, we're the first generation that need to create space in our day. Previous generations have needed to fill their time and fill their space. And, and now there's just too much noise and too much information that we actually need to learn the new skill of how do we create that, that space that, that you've just talked about. And, mm-hmm. and that, I think that is the challenge of, you know, in organizations, isn't it? Is that there's, there's always going to be more work than, than there are people. And it's, it's how do we encourage and how do we find it for ourselves? I mean, I know running my own business, I, I can easily fall into the trap of being a busy fool. And yeah. and whenever I get to that place or before I get to that place, I, I always take a step back and, and say, this is too hard. There's another way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in many ways, it's like the bumper cards we were talking about earlier, right? It's, it's not a straight path and, mm. and, and nobody stays that I know of in this place consistently. No. Uh, the important thing is to recognize when you're off it and uh, to be able to get yourself back on quickly. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, it's been fascinating talking to you, Karen. I could absolutely talk to you all day, but um, we're we're running out of time. So, uh, so I'm going to call it a day there. Um, one final tip for you from you for uh, leaders in organisations. Um, I think the the one tip that I would give is uh, is going back to this uh, idea of uh, leaders taking responsibility for uh, for both providing um, vision, providing alignment, uh, and uh, most importantly, being consistent uh, with their um, rewards and disincentives for, for the behaviors in the organization. Mm. Um, I think that is, the, that is the most important thing that a leader can do. Yeah, 
Well, that's brilliant. Thank you, Karen, for your time. You're more than welcome. Um, and I had to, I would have to leave you with just the, the notion of, uh, of no dumbing down, uh, because I think that is, um, as I say in, in my book, um, it's, it's the underpinning of everything in the organization. When people are able to work at their potential, when they're in an environment where they're able to do that, um, it will make all the difference to your ability to grow and support the growth in the organization. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. Yes, thank you. I've certainly enjoyed our conversation today, Jude. I loved what Karen said about risk and commitment. The idea that what we are committed to is where we take a risk. So if we're committed to security above anything else, we won't take a risk. But if we're committed to the vision of the organisation, the success of a team or the business objectives will go above and beyond. I think that's an interesting thought for leaders of organisations and teams. How do you create a compelling enough vision and business objectives that engage your team enough to be committed to taking a risk? How do you align employees' personal commitments with the business ones? What's your experience? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.